The Steve Lobby Agency presents The Christian Publishing Show, a podcast for writers who want to advance Christ's kingdom using the written word. Here's your host, Thomas Umstadt Jr. Where is the Christian publishing industry headed, and how do authors actually build a tribe of raving fans? Uh, To help answer these questions, today we're going to be talking with Alice Kreider, who's the editorial director at the publisher David C. Cook, and an international speaker. Alice, welcome to the Christian Publishing Show. Thank you for having me. Now, before we get started, I want to brag on your team just a little bit, uh, because not only am I a literary agent, but I'm also a podcast host, and I run a podcast production company, and David C. Cook is one of our clients, and I had a terrible case of baby brain the other day, and I sent an invoice for the wrong amount, and your accountant not only found it, but found that I had undercharged you, and she caught the mistake and told me about it so I could send the right amount in the invoice, which I thought was a great example of competence and character. So I just wanted to say congratulations on having such an amazing team. They're great up there. And yeah, (laughs) our accounting department is pretty amazing. They catch everything. (laughs) And my mistakes are usually not in my favor. (laughs) (laughs) As as an editor, I imagine you can appreciate somebody with an eye uh, to detail. But let's jump into it. Uh, What are some of the trends that you're seeing in Christian publishing right now? Well, Probably the biggest trend would be there's a whole lot more indie publishing or self-publishing going on in Christian publishing now than there used to be. Um, I just saw an article in Publishers Weekly saying that Christian authors are really starting to ramp up with self-publishing, which is interesting. And it kind of makes sense because um, with the number of books being published every year, traditional publishers are trying to be very highly selective. And so one way for Christian authors to still get published, whether they go traditional or not, um, the the option is there for self-publishing. And some of them are really knocking it out of the park, which is great. I don't know if you heard our episode with um, Alex from Kalytics, but they do in-depth data analysis, specifically on the Kindle store. And I think it was the top three or the top four best-selling authors on Kindle are independent authors. Like they're um, not overall, not in paper, but specifically in Kindle and specifically in Christian fiction. And the other thing that was interesting is that Kindle's still growing. Kindle ebook sales are still growing, but almost all of that growth now is going into the indie market. So the um, traditional market, it's it's relatively flat growth, uh, but the overall market is growing and the indie market is growing really fast, which I thought was really interesting. So it's not happening at the expense of traditional publishing. It's just that the pie is getting bigger and bigger every year, which means it's a great time to be in publishing. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, there's never been an easier time in the world to publish. It used to be there were, you know, the traditional publishers were the gatekeepers and nobody could publish without them. And now getting published is actually the easiest thing in the world. It's actually harder to get readers than it is to get published. 
That's really true because uh, you can be uh, just existing does not mean anyone is reading you. And just having sales doesn't mean that anyone is reading you. You actually have to sell your book twice. A lot of people don't realize this. You have to sell it where they buy it. But then when they put it on their book stand, you have to sell it a second time where they actually pick it up off the book stand and read it. And before you go pointing your finger at those terrible readers who you have to sell your book to <laughs> twice, how many books have you bought <laughs> that you've never even started because the book didn't sell you that second time? So I think it happens to all of us. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, you really kind of have to get you have to get the book or the not the book. You have to get the reader actually completely committed within the first few paragraphs of your book because if they put it down, you didn't really sell them the book. You actually <laughs> got them to purchase and maybe they put their money on the table, but if they didn't read it, that's as far as it's going to go and your ultimate goal as an author ought to be to get them to read the whole book, get something really valuable for their life, and then go share it with others. Yeah, that's really good. And with this emergence of indie, what are you seeing in the sense of transition from one camp to another? I see a lot of traditional authors like experimenting with going indie or maybe adding a hybrid book or two. Do you see many indie authors then going on and getting um, publishing deals with uh, publishing houses like David C. Cook? I have seen some of that. It's not the easiest thing in the world because sometimes an indie publisher or an indie author can be happy with selling a couple thousand copies of their book. And to them, that's great. Um, to a traditional publisher, though, we look at we need numbers in the tens of thousands in order to feel like it's worth our investment if somebody has already previously published. So it can, it can benefit someone who does very, very well. And it can also set someone back who doesn't sell very many copies because to, to a traditional publisher, if you don't sell very many copies of your indie book, it looks like you don't know how to market your own book. And a traditional publisher will have a really hard time helping you market a book next time around if you can't market. Exactly. And, you know, 5,000 book sales as an indie is potentially $25,000. You know, you're very happy with that. If you write two or three books a year, you can, you know, that's the mortgage. That's a lot of the expenses of the family. Whereas $5,000 or 5,000 copies with the traditional book is a fraction of that. It's a tiny fraction of that. And so for people who are selling those smaller numbers, indie really is uh, the better way to go in the sense that they're going to be bringing more money home. And where traditional, I feel, really shines is in 100,000 units plus, right? Like once you start getting into six digits of books, uh, there's you really need that team around you of all of those experts uh, who know what to do and know how to talk to Walmart and uh, get those big deals and, and just deal with hundreds of thousands of books. Like that is tons of books. And I'm not speaking figuratively here. I'm speaking literally tons of books, like just carrying them <laughs> would break your back. You know, you need a forklift for those kinds of numbers. Yeah. So I, I worked with an author a few several years ago who had indie published and sold 50,000 copies of his self-published book. And his problem was actually distribution. He's like, I can't send these out the door fast enough because people are ordering them. So I need help. <laughs> so we actually picked up his book and went ahead and sold another 50,000 copies. So it really does happen. And it really kind of all comes back down to the, the quality of the book. And, you know, 
the fact that anyone can publish anything these days means that there is actually a lot of out there that isn't very high quality. So if you're going to indie publish, you really want to make sure you really wrote well and you get an editor and make sure it's copy edited well, make sure you check all your facts. You know, just there's so many aspects that a traditional publisher will cover that get overlooked when people indie publish. So it's, it's the ones that, that really do all their homework and they go ahead and either wear all those hats or they hire those, those people, you know, that can do the, what they're not good at. Um, those things really matter because readers have the luxury of being highly selective these days. Their Amazon publishes a new book about every five minutes. <laughs> and there are millions of books out there on Amazon now. So, and, and the other trend we're seeing is that tr- uh, Christian bookstores the brick and mortar bookstores are shrinking and going away. And so more and more people are using the convenience of Amazon or Christian book distributors online. And there's so many titles to choose from that if something's not done well, they can be overlooked really fast. And, and I want to jump into that, actually, because I think that that's a really key trend and uh, of the decline of the Christian bookstores. So family Christian stores, I think they all closed. I know they filed for bankruptcy and Lifeway has uh, been reducing the number of stores. And while Amazon is probably playing a part of that, there's actually a bigger culprit. And you may be surprised who that bigger culprit is. It's your own church. <laughs> so uh, one of the <laughs> things that have happened uh, in a lot of places, especially with mega churches, is that they created a bookstore that's often connected with the church coffee shop. So m- most most Americans still go to a church of, on average, 100 people, I think is the most recent stats that I saw. Uh, and so at a 100-person church, you're not likely to have this. But at mega churches, often there's like a Starbucks inside the lobby. And inside of that Starbucks is a mini Lifeway. But that Lifeway has books that have been specifically curated by the leadership of that church, right? Every book has the seal of approval from your pastor. And in Christian publishing, that's really key. Like the authority of the book and whether or not this book fits with the kind of Christian I am, right? If I'm a good Baptist, I may not want to read a Presbyterian book, and I certainly wouldn't want to read a Catholic book, right? I'd be very careful reading a Catholic book. But if my pastor says, oh yeah, this Catholic book by, uh, you know, this, you know, I approve of it, right? <laughs> it's, it's okay. You can read this book by this Catholic monk about, you know, the dark night of the soul is like, oh, okay. <laughs> so suddenly you trust it more. And I think, I feel like that's had a big shift uh, on the market. Is that, is that what you're seeing kind of the impact of the church bookstore on sales? Yeah, I would say that's very true. And it's, um, you know, coming from a traditional publishing side, it's not easy for even traditional publishers to get our books into those bookstores. Because as you said, it's like, it's the pastor or a select group of of church staff that choose the books that go in those bookstores. And they're going to want the flavor that goes with their congregation. And they don't have, you know, they're not Walmart. They're not, (laughs) they're not Costco where they're going to have, you know, lots of different books They're And they're not like Barnes and Noble where they're going to have every category of every book you can imagine. They have limited space and they have limited themes that they want to stock in there, I guess, if you want to say it that way. Um, And so, yes, it's, it's not easy to get books in there. And at least in my church bookstore, 
I don't see a lot of indie books in those bookstores either. So yeah, that's where a lot of people do shop. Exactly. And I think one of the things that's interesting, if you're wanting to get your book into church bookstores, you'd be like, how do I do this? It's all about relationships. And your pastor is going to be the very next phone call to make if you're wanting access to the pastor's network, because they really do look after each other and they really do talk to each other. I remember doing a book launch for a client who was a pastor of a mega church. And our strategy was all about getting um, his pastor friends of other mega churches that were, you know, similar to him. He was an independent. He wasn't part of any denomination. But you know, there's churches that are similar, and uh, we got as many of them to send out emails as possible. And we sold out that book on day one. Like <laughs> by like ten o'clock in the morning, Amazon was out of stock uh, for his book due to basically nothing else than the pastors sending out emails to their congregations recommending uh, the book. And it's all about relationships. It's not like a, there's some, at least I don't know of any like shortcut to that of like, oh yeah, you just hire this firm and they'll get you into all of the Baptist churches in Alabama. It's like, no, you really need to know the people who are uh, the influencers and who will make those introductions. And um, and sometimes you'll see like denominational publishing for houses that are almost like indie houses in that they're really small and they're, you know, and all of the cell based churches have, you know, church uh, books by these two or three authors who you'd have never heard of, but they sold, you know, hundreds of thousands of books specifically in these specific churches. Yes. Yeah, that's very true. What are some of the other trends that you're seeing in Christian publishing? One of the biggest trends, I think and the most encouraging trend I think there is, is that audiobooks are going crazy. Uh, I've seen, it used to be that maybe one or two titles a year in our publishing house would get picked up by an audio publisher and then distributed. And now it's almost every title we publish is being sub-licensed for audio. Um, And then I'm, I'm hearing from even indie authors saying, wow, I, I, published my book, it got up on Amazon, I sold a few copies, and I did it in audio, and the audio is really selling. And I think that's because, you know, here we are in busy America, (laughs) with people being so busy that the best place to catch your book reading and catch up on reading that you want to catch up on quickly is with audio, you can listen to it in your car, you can listen to it while you're washing dishes, doing laundry, Um, you know, you can listen to an audio book, and pause it if you get interrupted and still come right back to where you were. So there's a lot of benefit to being an audiobook listener, and there's a lot of benefit to the people publishing and using audio. Yeah, audiobooks finally came out of their awkward adolescence. Uh, CDs were a terrible format for audiobooks. Couldn't retain position, didn't last very long, very expensive to manufacture. And now with uh, digital, it's so much cheaper. And then people's cars, you know, they started connecting their phones to their cars, which they've been able to do for 15 years, but it was complicated and like only the nerds did it. Now everyone is doing it. If you have a more modern car, often before you even leave the dealership's lot, you've got your phone uh, connected to the touchscreen on your car. Uh, with some cars now, your phone is your key, so you can't even get into your car if it's not connected to your phone. Uh, and all of that's making it easier to listen to audiobooks. But the other thing that's been really driving this is the smart speaker revolution. So just like the Kindle totally transformed the way that people are reading books, smart speakers are growing way faster than the Kindle ever did. I think it's something like 2,500% growth over the last uh, five years of smart speakers, something like 
I don't know, one out of five or one out of four kitchens now have an Echo or a Google Home device. And that's really powerful when you can say, and I'm not going to say her name because I don't want to trigger any of your devices. I actually have one in my <laughs> office. But you say, um, Alejandra, play you know such and such book by such and such author. And then uh, she's often going and playing the audiobook performed by the narrator. It's not like a robotic voice doing it. Uh, no, not necessarily. It's typically the... Um, person performing it. And then the other, so that's all on the demand side, right? The demand has gone way up. But on the other side, the cost of producing an audiobook has collapsed. Uh, There's now a huge network of audiobook narrators uh, who can record in their homes. The cost of setting up a home studio was, or setting up a studio was $50,000, and then it was $5,000, and then it was $500. (laughs) When it's only $500 (laughs) to set up an audiobook studio, Suddenly, every out-of-work actor is like, well, gosh, I can pull together $500. <laughs> I, can, I can start making audiobooks, and it creates a great supply of narrators. So it's easier to get audiobooks produced and cheaper uh, than ever before. And in Audible has been doing a lot with like matchmaking narrators and indie authors. And there's been a lot of uh, companies doing that on the licensing side as well. So David C. Cook licenses. You don't have an audiobook division where you produce them in-house. We are actually about to start doing that because it's actually now easier and less expensive. Um, we're about to start doing that. And we we will probably fly our authors in so they can be the ones unless they don't want to be or we feel like their voice isn't the right voice for the book. But um, yeah, so we may not tap into those big libraries of of readers and actors um, as much as some of the others do. But um, yeah, so it's pretty amazing what can be done now. We found that when we do sub-license, the author usually gets to audition if they want to, and they also get to choose between a couple of different voices if they're not going to be the narrator of their own book, which I think is neat because the author cares a lot about how their book is going to sound on audio. And so if they get to choose the voice, that makes them pretty happy too. And you might get stuck with this narrator. Sometimes audiobook listeners get a certain narrator and they fall in love with that narrator, especially in fiction. And once you pull in a different narrator, you get a riot on your hands. I still remember uh, (laughs) Audible like issuing an apology and they produced one of the Dresden Files book with a different narrator. They'd done like 10 or 11 books with one guy and then they did a different guy for book 12. And there was like this riot. And as an apology, they paid to get the whole book done over again. (laughs) They released both copies. (laughs) And they're like, we'll never go back again. We'll pay James Marston whatever he wants. And I was like, you know, James Marston's job is very secure, at least as the voice of Harry Dresden uh, in that one example. I think that's less the case in nonfiction. I think in nonfiction, uh, readers are more willing to want to hear the um, author read it because it's more often nonfiction has got some memoir elements, right? There's lots of anecdotes from the author's uh, personal experience. Um, Whereas for fiction, it's really hard to keep all those voices straight and the characters and the accents. And uh, there's a lot of, a lot more needed for professionals there, I think. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, it's a, yeah, that's a lot like movie acting more so than nonfiction would be. Yeah. Next week, Alice and I are going to talk about how to build a tribe. So that is an episode you are not going to want to miss. Uh, this episode of the Christian Publishing Show is brought to you by the uh, Christian Writers 
Institute. And our course of the week is actually a bundle of courses called the Smart Self-Publishing Bundle. It's everything you need to know about independent publishing. And it's a bundle of a bunch of super helpful courses. The first one is by myself, Thomas Umstead Jr., on how to get published. And the rest are by Lacey Williams, who is one of the foremost experts on independent publishing. She's one of the top Christian independent authors right now on Amazon. So she really knows her stuff and she lays out everything you need to know about indie publishing. You learn the basics, and there's a whole session of just the basics. There's a session on how to find your readers, a session on newsletter marketing, a session on copywriting, a session on the technical how-tos of getting your book published, which is probably worth the price of the bundle right there. And then finally, a session on subsidiary rights and how to navigate that as an independent author. All of these courses together would cost over $100. Uh, The bundle is normally $49, but as always, you can save 10% by using the coupon code PODCAST. And pro tip, that coupon code works on everything. So just use the coupon code anywhere on the Christian Writers Institute to save 10% on checkout. Thank you for listening to The Christian Publishing Show. For more information and to get episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit christianpublishingshow.com.